Augmented reveals the stories behind a new era of industrial operations, where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. In episode 47 of the podcast, the topic is industrial machine learning. Our guest is Roy Schilkrot, lead scientist at Zulip. In this conversation, we talk about machine learning in manufacturing, merging applications using Tulip and beyond. We discuss emerging use cases, the impact of a future with MESML, that is, machine learning built into the manufacturing execution system. Augmented is a podcast for industry leaders and operators, hosted by Futurist Trondarne Wundheim, presented by Tulip, the frontline operations platform, and associated with MSG Works, the industrial upskilling community launched at the World Economic Forum. Each episode dives deep into a contemporary topic of concern across the industry and airs at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time every Wednesday. Augmented, the Industry 4.0 podcast. Industrial conversations that matter. I'm excited to to talk to you about machine learning in manufacturing. Tell me a little bit about yeah. your journey, Roy, because you uh, obviously have a PhD from the Media Lab, and then yeah. you've been kind of in and out of startups and and academia. T- tell me about that journey. Um, where do we start? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think I've been like uh, entrepreneurial since like I was a very young. Uh, kid, like I started uh, a business when I was eight years old. Um, but my so where I come from, um, it's called a kibbutz in Israel. It's like a, it's a community, um, and we had two things in the in the kibbutz. We had either you go to work out in the fields, uh, and we had we we growing all kinds of things, or we had a factory. We had a factory there that made uh, plastic. Um, plastics, plastic uh, products, mostly plastic bags, uh, but all kinds of plastics. Mm. And my dad used to work there. He's a, he's a control engineer. Uh, but, you know, before there were computer engineers, there was like, uh, you know, digital control engineers and he was, um, um, and he was a control engineer. Uh, and he worked there in the factory and I used to go there as a kid. And, and then I started working in the factory as a teenager and I really enjoyed it. And I think, I think that, you know, you go into a factory. I love places that run 24 seven, you know, I, I just love those places where lights are always on and there's always people around. They're always doing things. Um, and so I started working there. I worked there for a few years on the shop floor. Uh, I did a number of jobs. I worked in a warehouse. I worked in like operating some of the, some of the machines there, uh, um, working night shifts and everything. I really enjoyed it. Mm. And it kind of stuck with me, uh, you know, being around factories and manufacturing um, since I was a kid and my dad and everything. Um, eventually, like my dad also had a very big passion for computers and I started getting into that and I found I found my calling basically. Uh, started uh, kicking around computers since I was a very young age at like six years old, my dad always had things and we, we hacked on old um, Apple, Apple IIe. I don't know if you know them, like computers from the 80s. Yeah. Um, uh, really, really old computers. And, and I started programming uh, very young and that's it. It never left me since. I started getting into computers and I knew that as soon as I, um, 
was uh, released from my uh, my army service uh, for three years. I was a I was a soldier in the in the intelligence corps. Um, I knew that I'm going to go into computers, and I I did a couple of degrees back to back for computer science, uh, and then found my way into MIT. And really, I found I think I found my way into MIT roughly when I found Nathan. Hmm. And we started we started talking together. We had a lot in common, a lot of uh, entrepreneurial ideas and and wishes. And we've been we've been like working and like friends and working together for the past eleven years. Um, we've been very lucky to have found him, um, and 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 to work alongside him for all for for this long. Hmm. Um, and yeah. and how. Uh, how did this uh, concept of machine learning built into the manufacturing execution systems? How did yeah. that uh, sort of evolve with Tulip and you know with your work? Was that a part, directly an outcome of your PhD thesis, which I know was on visual uh, topics uh, as well, or or yeah. had it did it arrive when you started working on Tulip products? Yeah, so my PhD work, and I believe many of the PhDs in the media lab. Um, are kind of uh, similar in that um, that we're doing human-computer interaction. Mm-hmm. That's what we do, and that was the same thing. And I started when I started at the Media Lab. I was working on uh, assistive technology, usually uh, mostly assistive technology for blind people, and um, and then it extended and expanded into assistive technology that's not particularly for people with any sort of disability or um, or uh, or some sort of you know like a medical condition it's uh, or, or a physiological condition it's really um, expanded to everybody and I think that at its very core when when I knew when I was working with Nathan before tulip ever uh, was even even conceived um, he was working on assistive technology. He was just assisting. He was trying to assist um, different kinds of people, right? right. Um, he was building these uh, uh, these robotic uh, projection interfaces, and it was about assistance. It gives you information. It takes input and it gives you some output. And really, if you think about it in a very, very broad, general terms, I think a lot of computation is in fact assistive. It helps you do something that you don't naturally do as a as a human. Yeah, that's true. But there's something unique, I guess, about the way the Media Lab approaches it, and and you know, and what then got translated into Tulip because it's assistive, uh, but you have applied it to a fairly broad uh, target group, right? In in factories, yeah. Um, and I find that interesting. So on the machine learning side, is it obvious that? For you, was it obvious for you that manufacturing technology was ready for machine learning? I mean, because a lot of the steps that need to be automated and assisted in in factories are so much simpler that you would sort of think that machine learning is almost the last thing on, yeah. on someone's mind. How, how did that kind of uh, how did that click with with the two of you? And and what what does it mean currently in in the Tulip product? Um, so the readiness of industry or the readiness of uh, industry ex- or like manufacturing execution uh, systems for machine learning has always existed. Mm-hmm. 
what has been a paradigm shift in the last two years, or even less than that, is that machine learning is now has become so much a commodity right. and offered in, in so many very, very useful and very simple ways that it finally is ready to be applied almost automatically in, in whatever industry you want. So it's not just manufacturing, it's any data-rich industry. And I, and I consider manufacturing to be very data-rich. You could apply machine learning very simply in the last couple of years, this is what it is becoming. Um, we're going from where you had to have people with very specific skills, very sk skills that you would you would uh, uh, acquire during a master's or a PhD. You would go deeply into understanding uh, a lot of the mechanics and mathematics behind machine learning. We're going now into a world where people with absolutely no skills um, in, in, in those terms, right? They need some, some sort of information skills, right? But absolutely no skills in, in, in what you would call core machine learning, mm -hmm. unless you're doing research and that's not applied machine learning. Um, anyone can apply it. Even, even you could do it, you and I and everyone and my daughter can do it. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's services and there's apps that you download and you set up your data and you hit a few buttons and you get an object classifier or you get you get a different, you know, machine learning model that gives you something very useful for your your application. Mm. So and, yeah. and how how so why did this only happen? Do you think in the last few years? And give us give us some examples of how this has translated into current manufacturing systems. Uh, this is uh, this is basically a result of uh, a lot of infrastructure work that needed to be done and has been has been done. Uh, mostly in data storage and data processing, data processing pipelines. Um, now it is essentially, essentially built in almost any uh, sort of data store service, you know, like cloud cloud store services. Uh, the ability to right away put that data towards machine learning. So it's a lot of infrastructure that needed to be needed to be done, uh, but now it's in place. The second thing is a lot of research was done very recently into what people call auto ML. Uh, these are automatically um, uh, automatically created models, machine learning models that give you give you some sort of output. And this research into auto ML has only picked up in the last five years and really culminated in, 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 a, in kind of like a, a, useful, a useful product in the last couple of years hmm. uh, where you can, you can sort of uh, run those models without almost any supervision except for, for your application. If you want to classify uh, apples from bananas, you just give it a few samples of apples and samples of bananas. And from that moment and on, you don't really need to do almost any parameter tweaking or anything. It's just a click of a button and you get a model that is, use, that is accurate for more than 90%, which is usually okay for, your, um, for human consumption, quote unquote. How how extensive has machine learning started to integrate into the Tulip product? And tell us a little bit about your role, you know, at Tulip doing these things. Yeah. So at Tulip, I'm chief scientist. I know we don't we don't really use the the term chief, but we apply machine learning in a number of ways. Uh, firstly, in our computer vision product, 
Uh, that's something very recent that Tulip had just launched, and it's using machine learning technology to do, you know, um, object detection and classification. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do have some traditional computer vision that doesn't include, for the most part, doesn't include machine learning technology, but it still still is computer vision. Um, we do have a number of features like that, but we are applying machine learning uh, tech there as well. Um, the other the other thing is machine monitoring. In machine monitoring, uh, these are uh, you know data from a different um, a different modality, right? These are usually sensors or uh, event streams from machines, uh, and there we apply machine learning in. Uh, more of a low level, uh, closer to what you would call signal processing uh, to understand the different states that the machines are in uh, and detect fault states and, and, and so on. If you were to advise someone who, who, like yourself, is passionate about factories and maybe works in a factory as an operator but isn't a computer programmer, you said it's getting you know, easier and easier both to uh, to apply general sort of software systems onto manufacturing and also specifically machine learning. What's your advice on how should they approach this? If they're mm-hmm. interested and are starting to see these use cases, maybe are listening to, to our interview and want to get closer to this space, is it just starting to tinkering on your own? What, what should the path be? What's the easiest way to do it? Right. So I think that for someone who is really on the shop floor, and they start essentially see some trends about their work that they they should pick up on those trends because really what machine learning is all about is finding patterns and finding trends that are in the data there's in the, in the data there's two things there's noise and there's trend uh, and if you can separate the trend from the noise that's that's all machine learning is doing that's it and if you are if you're working in a factory in the shop floor and you're uh, and and you want to get into this or 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 something um, along those lines, I would say start looking for patterns, patterns in your own work. Let's say that you're really on the shop floor and you're doing some assembly. Let's see, uh, it's 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 heavily heavily uh, patterned work, right? Because it's repetitive work usually. But then you can pick up pick up on patterns where you see uh, you do. W- you do one thing, then another, then another thing, uh, and it results in something, in, in, in a fourth thing, um, it's a pattern. So start looking out for those patterns. And the second step would be to try to automate around those patterns, right? You, you would say, all right, so part of the work that I do here uh, can, be, can be automated. Uh, I, just need, I just need a computer to click button number one, button number two, and button number three for me. Right, and there's there's a very big upcoming uh, industry called RPA, robotic process automation, and that's going to be um, fundamental in in operating uh, in in operations in in manufacturing operations, um, and those don't really need a lot of uh, uh, a lot of expertise to operate. These are apps that you can essentially install, uh, and they start picking up on your on your actions. Uh, the other thing is that I would recommend looking at pattern in in the material or in the work. If you if you notice some defects are are usually in a particular place or they come in 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 a few in a few categories. That's again a pattern, and that could be could be automated. 
Um, I wanted to benefit a little from your expertise to think more about the emerging application. So you said e even as recently as two years ago, this wasn't uh, really so prevalent to start using more advanced machine learning models. Where do you predict this is going? Is it is it now pro productized in a way that we're going to see massive changes on the shop floor? How, where, where do you predict factories? You know, will we understand much more and be much more efficient? Or what what is possible now that these techniques are, you know, not commonplace, but but very possible to implement? Right. So I... Um I thought it was a good idea to introduce some concept that we are uh, we're thinking about, and we're thinking about built-in ML. We're thinking about um, MES ML, although we don't really like the term MES uh, tulip. Um, built-in ML uh, is is a fundamental shift, I believe. Uh, the idea is that wherever you collect data, you could apply machine learning. It doesn't have to be any fancy application uh, built on the built on AutoML that we discussed before, built on top of that, everywhere where you have data, you could have machine learning uh, very easily. And what does that mean for the shop floor? Um, I believe that as soon as we start collecting data digitally, really, uh, and, and this is what Tulip is about, right? It's, it's, about, it's about digitizing and starting to collect data about your, uh, about your processes. As soon as we start doing that and put it in a in a database that allows this, you will have what we call built-in ML, MESML, um, database ML, and this is this is something that's that's upcoming. Uh, really, it's it, uh, uh, I believe it's going to be a, a very big shift, um, and the implications of that will mean that as soon as you have a data stream, for example, if you if you're making something, if it's it's a discrete operation and you're assembling something, and you're collecting data about it every day, uh, as soon as the uh, as, as as the database essentially notices uh, some patterns there, it could start give you forecasting, mm -hmm. and forecasting uh, is 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 incredibly important for for manufacturing because forecasting gives you planning. Uh, and as soon as you can plan, you can start being more optimized and efficient. Uh, forecasting doesn't stop there. It also gives you anomaly detection. As soon as something is out of your forecast, it's usually an anomaly. It this wasn't supposed to happen, and yet it happened. Uh, and, send, and, and, and then you know something is wrong. You, you can again plan and optimize. So there's more than uh, there's more than statistics, is what you're saying in in this approach. Because if, if in the olden days, I guess in a manufacturing system, you would you know eventually start gathering some data, maybe even manually, and then after days or weeks, you would sort of start analyzing, or someone would be tasked with kind of counting the beans and figuring out what was happening. But you're yeah. saying not only real time statistics, but actually patterns in the data that you that presumably would lead someone to. Uh, even even not just the manager, even someone actually just executing an operation, immediately seeing that they need to change what they're doing and, and become uh, more efficient or, or making some switch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the the original situation, you're right. You could, you could definitely do this with non-digital terms. You could essentially pick like a pen and paper and start writing the dots and, and graph out what's going on, right? The how many parts per hour, uh, you know, we're done and like yesterday and today and the day after and so on. And you start seeing a trend and you can draw a trend line, right? You can draw a regression line. Essentially, you can fit, uh, fit a simple function through those data points and, and, and see the future, quote unquote. Thing is um, that 
regression might be um, it might be a very simple and easy things regression lines and so on it's easy to to allow uh, to to apply to data um, but the algorithms that uh, are enabled by this auto ml and built-in ml things are much more powerful than that they're not just regression lines they take a look at seasonality uh, they take a look at um, um, they don't fit a, a line function um, in many ways, they uh, they fit a much more complex function uh, that could uh, predict the future, even if it's not not linear, right? It goes up and down, sinusoidal, or you know, it, in any kind of any kind of uh, uh, fluctuation in the data that might be wholly non nonlinear. It's not always going up or down, right? Um, it can model that and give you a forecast that's much more true to reality. I'm starting to see how certainly in more advanced factories this could be extremely useful. And I'm just thinking even of just traditional bottleneck analysis, right? In, in even in fairly small factories, there are always these bottlenecks. And you know, of course, famously, you know, management consultants or whatnot, you know, are required to kind of figure out these bottlenecks. But um it does also strike me though that, you know, you are presenting it at a as as a fairly simple thing to implement, but surely at some point uh, inputting the right kind of models into this into these data is challenging, especially in a complicated factory environment. Let's say mm -hmm. a, a modern factory that already has digital systems and with a lot of variables already being measured. You you still need to make some choices here on what to focus on, right? Because right. as you said, I mean, there's noise and then there's patterns, but there's also so much data that there is more noise than there was before. So how do you account for that? Yeah. Um, you're right that this might require some sort of expertise, but the uh, but my my claim is that this is not going to be the type of expertise you go through a, a master's program in 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 machine learning. Uh, it would be uh, something that you you essentially either pick up on the job or or you would learn in industrial engineering schools uh, as soon as this uh, starts rolling out. But um, what what I would you know what I would say is that. These AutoML algorithms, they really are striving and people are putting a lot of work into research into making them completely automatic. So you don't really need to apply uh, a lot of tweaking to the parameters and whatnot. It just starts giving you, you know, kind of accurate forecasting uh, so you can start using it right away. And the idea here is that you have to start with the data. You don't have to start with a model or modeling. You have to start with the data. If you have KPIs, like manufacturing KPIs, mm -hmm. um, like yield and so on, right, uh, in, in a particular line, if you already have those KPIs in place and you're tracking them, this tool can do that tracking and reasoning about it automatically and give you alerts ahead of time, sort of foresee the future, right, give you a accurate forecasting, Um so that you can you can do this right away, and 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 this is what I what I you know going back. This is going to be built in any data store. Uh, so any any essentially any MES you know any 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 anything that you would use to run your operations. This will be built in as soon as you start collecting the data. You're going to start having the right forecasting and 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 ways for you to optimize automatically. Roy, as I hear you speak about this, it strikes me that 
manufacturing has for a while had kind of a bad rap when it comes to like introducing advanced technology, but then came robots and people were sort of, I guess, a bit more upbeat on the technology element. But as you're speaking about these things, it strikes me that this is a, a, going to be a very exciting space going forward because not only is there advanced technology, but it's getting into the hands of, of more people than before. Um, <clears throat> when yeah. it, it, Do you think the large parts of society are going to wake up to the fact that, uh, you know, factory work like you, you experienced in your youth can actually be exciting work? Um, so I just, uh, I just like yesterday, I read a, a, a blog post about this, um, about how uh, automation essentially would, you know, people are always afraid that it's going, you know, we're going to lose jobs, and we're only going to create like higher paying jobs, uh, and all the lower paying jobs will be very robotic, you would essentially be a human robot. And people churn very fast there, right? Churn a lot um, because it's 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 very mentally tiring. Um, but I, I don't think that's going to happen because, you know, right now there's this pressure. There's this pressure that these jobs are going to go away and they're going to become, you know, like human robots. And people understand that. People understand uh, that we can't sustain the business like that. Uh, so it's, it's definitely going to be interesting. And what I, um, uh, you know, uh, there's one paradigm in, in, in human machine, uh, human computer interaction uh, that I can find the reference for you uh, uh, that called the master, uh, the master of processes or the master of robots. So you as a human, you're essentially a master of many small uh, augmenting or assisting little processes that run in parallel and they and they essentially do your job. So imagine, imagine that you as, as a factory ship shop floor worker uh, you go in and 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 your your job is essentially to make sure that all those automatic processes um, are 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 doing the right thing and 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 you must be there because there's um, your ability to do higher level analysis I'm not saying about repetitive work you can you can you can automate that in many ways um, but you would go in and you would essentially be a master of robots you'll be a master of processes even in in the in the workstation level uh, you would have a you know a visual an automatic visual inspection uh, some some sort of mini mini cobot uh, a mini robot that's uh, you know working alongside a human um, and various sensors that pick up and and you as a human as you use your analytic uh, analytical brain uh, to to master those so I believe this is I believe this is how we are uh, we're, we're going to see uh, a, a shift in manufacturing. Well, I think it, it looks like an interesting emerging development to me. I thank you so much for, uh, for giving me a little sneak peek into, into that yeah. development. Thanks a lot, Roy. Sure, yeah, yeah, no problem. You have just listened to episode 47 of the Augmented Podcast with host Ruman Enna. The topic was industrial machine learning. Our guest was Roy Schilkraut, lead scientist at Zurich. In this conversation, we talked about building machine learning into industrial tech. My takeaway is that industrial tech is not what it used to be and will never again be a bulky, legacy, inflexible instrument. Rather, we are entering an age with immediate feedback, rapid adjustments, and a combination of human and machine monitoring. 
Thanks for listening. If you like the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode 29, The Automated Micro Factory. Episode 22, Friedman's Factory, What's No Code? Or episode 19, Machine Learning in Manufacturing. Augmented, upskilling the workforce for industry 4.0 frontline operations.